We're working our way through the book of Romans, and some weeks are going to be more difficult than others. This is going to be a more difficult week, just because of the nature of the topic of sin and the wrath of God. That's not the easiest one to broach. It is a topic that I love to talk about one-on-one with people. I love to go to this passage and talk through it with people one-on-one where I know that you understand what I'm saying and that we can wrestle through your questions together and we can figure it out together. And I'm a little bit nervous about trying to do that with all of you all at the same time. Um, But we'll do the best that we can. Okay, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit in there. Uh, They're going to do the best they can to keep the verses on on the screen. But if you grab the Bible that's in front of you, page 804 is Romans chapter 1, and it'll be easier for you to follow along if you're looking at your own Bible or the one uh, in the chairs. Before we jump in, uh, Romans 1 verse 24 Let's remember why we're here, right? Before we just jump into the wrath of God and uh, a list of sins, let's remember that actually the context uh, begins in verse 15, where he says to the church at Rome, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are at Rome. Verses 16 and 17, because or for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So as we get into this passage, we want to remember that just a few short verses ago, Paul is saying to them, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. And through it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Okay? So, so it's because he's passionate about the gospel then that we get into verses 18 and, uh, 19 and 20. For, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For the wrath of God has been revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now let's jump down to verse 24 and we'll read the passage for today and then we'll talk about it. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and, are, and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, 
maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Kind of a rough passage. Because we start off with, in verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Who is they? God gave them up. Who was that? Well, if you go back into verse 21, it says, For although they knew God... Okay, so back up further. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who... Now we have a subject. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's who we're referring to. It's these people who are rejecting God because in their unrighteousness, in their sin, they are suppressing the truth about who God is. That's who we're referring to. Therefore, we're told in verse 24, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart. He gave them up. He handed them over. Right? Like a, like somebody who... Uh, arrested somebody for something that they they shouldn't have done, and they hand them over to the jailer, right? God gives them over. Or or maybe, to put it in a little bit different of a, a picture, you can imagine a man walking a dog, and the dog is just pulling, straining at the leash, right? And the man is holding the leash, but the dog just keeps lunging at everything that passes. Other dogs, squirrels, cars, the dog is just lunging. It wants that. It wants that. And the, the, the man is holding, the, holding it back, holding it back, holding it back, restraining it with this leash, and finally goes, you want that car? Fine. Ties it up to the car. You can have it. There's the dog now tied to the car, and the car boop, drives off, and the dog runs for a little bit, then can't keep up, and is dragged behind this car. Right? That, that's sort of a rough picture. Right? But, but I, I picture God restraining us at the leash and going, fine, you want that thing? Let me just tie you to that thing. There you go. I'm handing you over. Not just releasing the leash and letting us go and pursue whatever we want, but actually handing us over to that thing and having the consequences then of whatever that thing is. So, therefore, it says in verse 24, God gave them over in the lusts of their heart. He handed them over to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why did He do this? Verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Even in the midst of this, as Paul is describing it and is setting up this whole argument and is saying, God, look, God is handing them over. The reason for this is because they rejected the Creator. They rejected the Creator so that they could pursue the creature or the created thing. Isn't that 
it, it just boggles your mind. If you, if you step back, right, and you just look at the facts objectively, which is hard to do because the facts are not objective, right? We're, we're intimately, emotionally connected with these things. But if we just step back and evaluate and say, you rejected the Creator God for the created thing? Paul says, they serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let that be so. I mean, he just breaks into worship because he can't help it. God, the Creator of all things, is so wonderful. How could we possibly set Him aside and worship something so much lesser? And yet, because people have been doing that, God is handing them over to the thing which they are worshiping. We, we find this in ourselves, that, that when we worship something, we, we value it so highly, that that thing then becomes our master and we its slave. And it's a natural consequence. Because God is handing us over to that thing. Rather than saying, no, I'm tempted by it, I want that thing, but God, I prefer you. When we instead say, I prefer this God, and I'm going to leave you, then He's handing us over to that thing. In Romans 1, uh, 19-23, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts. Uh, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, if you've been here for the last two weeks, we've, we've been talking about this for the last two weeks, right? And you're going, yes, yes, we've, we've, we've already covered this ground. But, uh, but I want to make sure that we're really clear about this so that we understand what's happening. Because otherwise we jump into um, God's wrath against sin and we forget that it's the natural consequences of what we ourselves are doing. That we, in rejecting Him and pursuing the other things, it seems like, wait a second, God is mad about that? Yes, God is mad about that. His wrath is against sin. And when we reject Him to pursue those things, His wrath is against that, and He hands us over to that. And there are consequences to that. We are then enslaved to this thing that we thought was great, but turns out not to be wonderful, and we end up being dragged behind a car. Which is awful. Nobody wants that. All sin is a rejection of God. All sin is a rejection of God. Because it is pursuing something else rather than the Creator. And the only way that we can be self-righteous, the only way we can justify it in our minds to do this, is if we think that God is irrelevant. 
right? We, we say, well, he doesn't exist, or he doesn't care, or it's not important, or he's probably okay with it, or some kind of thing like that. We justify it by going, you know, in this scenario, even though I'm rejecting the truth that I know about God so that I can pursue this other thing, God is irrelevant here. It's the only way that we can justify the sin and the serving of the creature rather than the Creator. Is to, at that point, say God is irrelevant. And so it, it says in verse uh, 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Now we have the, the same language again, right? In verse 24, it said that God gave them up. Now in verse 26, we again have, for this reason, God gave them up. What was the reason? Because, God exchange, uh, because they exchanged the worship of God for the worship of the creature. That's the reason. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. It's a, a difficult passage to preach right now. It's a hot topic. This is one of the most direct passages in all of Scripture against homosexuality. That clearly says homosexuality is a sin. Why does he lead with this? We're about to have a huge list of sins. Why first lead with this? I think that it is both a consequence of sin, a, a, a consequence of the rejecting God, just like the rest of the things that are in the list, but also it is uh, illustrative of. Right? So those of you who are familiar with Ephesians 5 have seen this before. Where in Ephesians 5, he's talking about this is how you should act. This is how you should treat other people. This is how you should respond to God. And then he gives us this picture. And he says, this is how husbands and wives should relate to each other. And it feels a little bit weird suddenly that we're talking about why are husbands and wives relating to each other in this way? And then at the end of that, he says, it is because this is the relationship between Christ and his church. He says, I am, I am illustrating the relationship between Christ and his church, but also I'm at the same time talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. And you can read about that later in Ephesians 5. I, I've got enough trouble this week without having to, to jump into that also. But what we do have here then is, I think he could finish this with the same thing. Why am I saying this? It is because it is illustrative of the relationship between God and His, and His people. And also, this is the way that God created it to be. Right? Sometimes we get stuck on this word natural. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And we start talking about what is natural and what is unnatural. And we can have all kinds of debates about that. If I feel like it's natural, then is it natural? If you can find it in other places, then is it natural? 
What, how do we define what is and what is not natural? And I, I don't want to get into any of that right now. I, I don't want to, to talk uh, about um, it, is there stuff in the genes or is there stuff in the psyche? or uh, We're not going to get into any of that. Because the reality is that what we're talking about here is what God has said He has created things for. This is the way that he has created it, and this is the way he has expressed himself through his word. This is the way that it is. Now, what if it doesn't feel that way? That's entirely possible. God gives us over to the things that we pursue as we reject him. Right? So as we say, in this instance, God, I prefer this thing to you. That's going to feel pretty natural as we're handed over to the pursuit of that thing. We're, we're, we're tied up as a culture in the feeling that the thing that I want is what I deserve and should be accepted should be approved, should be encouraged, because it is the pursuit of my happiness. And the reality is this, that unless we submit our preferences and desires to the confines of God's righteousness, we are rejecting the truth about God for a lie. That's the reality. And here is the illustration of it. That the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. The language here is explicit and clear. And it is an illustration of what we are about to see again in verse 28. Because we started off with what is happening. Therefore, because the wrath of God has been revealed against them, that is, those who in their unrighteousness have turned away from Him, it says in in verse uh, 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Then we have in verse 26 the illustration of this. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And, uh, and then in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, as I've heard this before, sometimes I I have heard uh, verse 28 connected with verses 26 and 27. That is to say that it is um, all about homosexuality here. And it's not. Because just as we had this phrase, God gave them up, leading into the section of 24 and 25, and leading into the section of 26 and 27, now we have it leading into 28 and 29 and following. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them who? who who's them? Do we remember? The unrighteous. All the way back uh, to 
verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's the, it, we're still talking about the same people. So now at verse 26, sorry, verse 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to not do uh, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They do all of these things. And they do some of these things. And they do one of these things. Because the principle is this. That they have exchanged the glory of God for something. And that's where sin comes from. They are... They are exchanging the glory of God for something else, and so they sin. Otherwise, they wouldn't. We wouldn't. If we never exchanged the glory of God for something lesser, we would never sin. We would always submit our desires and lusts and passions and thoughts to the confines of the righteousness of God. So before we get too proud and arrogant, those of us who don't struggle with the homosexuality thing, we have to look at the rest of the list. Because which of these things do we struggle with? Covetousness? That desire of other people's things? Gossip? Well, it wasn't really gossip. I was just telling somebody else about this thing that I happened to know. Slander? Well, I wouldn't say it's slander. I mean, he's pretty awful. So if I say this stuff about him, it's because he deserves it. I just think everybody should know what an awful person he is. Boastful? Proud? Angry? That's just who I am. I was born that way. I can't help it. It's in my genes. How quick we are to use the same language to defend our sin as those whose sin we totally reject. What's your struggle? What's the sin that tempts you and pulls you and tears you the most? The one that's most difficult for you to 
say, that's it, I'm done with this. God, I want to submit to you instead. I want to follow you. I want to stop pursuing the creature and start pursuing the Creator. When you write on the connection cards, we pray for you. We pray for depression. We pray for mental health. We pray against addictions. We pray against lusts, unfaithfulnesses. Unfaithful my? No. Unfaithfulnesses. Because these are things that you're really struggling with, and when you write it down, we pray for you. And want to pray for you. Because my greatest desire for me and for you is that we'll be able to put an end to that stuff and glorify God. How often have I heard somebody say, I just feel disconnected from God. I just, I just feel disconnected from Him right now. When, when you're feeling disconnected from God, do an evaluation. L- look through this list. Is there one of these things that I'm tied to? That I've said, God, I don't want you. Can you just tie my leash to this car? What's the car for you? Because when we're struggling with sin and are rejecting God so that we can pursue the sin, it's no wonder that we feel disconnected from Him. It's because we're pursuing something else instead of Him. Now that's what we're, we're talking about hard work now. I mean, this is the conclusion, the most practical piece of like the last four sermons all get to this. And so this is the hard one because this is the most clear about what are we supposed to be doing. It makes it the most difficult for us to deal with. This is one of the longest lists of sin in the whole Bible. Certainly in the New Testament. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, disobedient to parents. Really? Yup. And this isn't even all of them. Though they know, verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We can't do that. We want to. Makes us feel better about ourselves. Certainly makes relationship with other people easier. If we just go, oh yeah, that's totally cool. No problem. How many people have ever... uh, You don't have to raise your hand. This is a rhetorical question. You can just think about it in your mind. But how many of you have tried to confront somebody about their sin and had that blow up on you? You want to hurt a relationship real fast? You step across that line and call somebody on their sin. 
It hurts. I don't want to be called on my sin. And at the same time, I do want to be called on my sin. I would love to think that you could come to me and say, Travis, I see this sin in you and you need to deal with it. And I would go, thank you so much for pointing that out. What I would probably say is, I'm the freaking pastor, get out. (laughs) And then I would come back next week and I would say, Really sorry about that. Can you forgive me twice? (laughs) But may we be the kind of people that are willing to have that happen, particularly when we get into like the life groups where you're starting to share the more intimate stuff about yourself. I hope that you can do that in your life group. You're building the kind of trust that you can do that. You can share those things, share those struggles, support one another, bear one another's burdens. Do you know when Galatians talks about bearing one another's burdens, it's talking about sin? They're one of the hardest ones to bear when somebody else is dealing with sin and you know about it. You're praying for them and you're walking alongside them. But we can't approve it. We can't say, no, that's fine. And at the same time, we have to be very careful and wise about how we do it. Because for someone who has rejected God, it's going to feel very natural for them to do the sin. And they will not, let me say this as carefully as I can, they will not accept criticism about their sin if they don't care about relationship with God. We have to first address relationship with God and then we can address the sin. Otherwise, there's no point. They just think we hate them. It's very natural for them to do that. That's what the point of the passage is. That in rejecting God, they are handed over to this. And at the same time, for those who are struggling with it, that has to be okay. I'm struggling with this sin. I really want to submit to God and pursue Him, but I'm struggling with this. That's okay. We love that here. That's way better. Struggling with it is way better than giving into it and just saying, whatever, I just, I give up. Forget God, I'm doing this. It's easier. We want the struggle. We want the frustration. We want the backsliding as people are really trying. As people are crying out to God and saying, God, please take this away from me. But the struggle is real and it's there and we deal with it. But unless we first say, you know what, whatever the sin is, whatever the sin is, I want to follow Christ. Unless we start there, we're never going to deal with this, right? 
And so when you're talking with somebody who doesn't say, I want to follow God, you can expect they don't want to deal with the sin. Approving or not approving or disapproving or coming against, it's, it's nothing. Until we understand that there is a Creator God and they are pursuing a creature instead, right? We don't have to worry about the sin. We can just say, do you know that there is a Creator God? There is a Creator God. And so if you have used anything else, you are missing the glory of God. And then, once we acknowledge that, and you come to them and you say, okay, now, because you have acknowledged God, I want to share with you some of the things that He has revealed about His righteousness. Well, who are you to tell me how to live my life? Nobody. I'm a fellow struggler. But I want to tell you that God, the Creator of the universe, has revealed it. Now, if you're talking to somebody who has rejected God, that's not going to mean anything to them. Which is why we have to start there. This relationship first. Then we can deal with all the other sins. Any one of them in the list. We first have to deal with the relationship with God. Then we can deal with those. And our expectations of how people will act and what we require them to do has to be different in the church than out of the church. Because those who are in the church are saying, this is what I want. I want to follow God first and foremost. That's why I'm here. And I'm asking for the help of my brothers and sisters in this room or in this congregation or in my life group to help me with that. But people who are not in here and are not doing that, they've got a different value system. They're pursuing something else. That's a totally different ballgame. That's not what we're talking about here this morning. We're just talking about the relationship with God. And if we want to have relationship with God, what is it going to take because we struggle with something on this list that is pulling us away from the Creator and pulling us toward the created thing? And when we recognize this entire list and see really our depravity in this, that's when we start to go, okay, now where's the good news? Where's the good news? If you were sitting in your house and all of a sudden a firefighter bursts the door down, comes running in and drags you out of the house, are you going to be thankful to that firefighter? If your house is on fire, you'll be thankful. If your house is not on fire, you're going to wonder what is going on. If your house is on fire and you don't realize it, you're going to still wonder, what is going on? I don't like this firefighter. You burst into my perfectly peaceful evening, broke down my front door, grabbed me out of my easy chair, and dragged me out of the house. This passage here is the, hey, house is on fire passage. Because if we know our house is on fire, then the firefighter who comes in and grabs us and drags us out, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for saving me from this fire. And so, what is our solution to this? 
if we have this whole list of sins, these things that we struggle with, these things that are pulling us away from God, to which we are being handed over so that we are experiencing the wrath of God in the consequences of this car we're getting dragged behind, what is the good news? Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the good news. This is why Paul's not ashamed about it, because he knows that if we want to have a good relationship with the Creator God, the only way that's going to happen is if we are saved from our sin. And Jesus saves us from our sin. And that's what we get to celebrate today. We celebrate communion together. And when we do that, we are remembering. We are remembering the depravity of our hearts. We're remembering the depth of our sin and our need for a Savior. And that God, in His infinite wisdom and love and mercy, has provided His Son, who died the death that we deserved, so that we might be saved. So that we might have a wonderful relationship with Him. And so during the next song, I would like for you to reflect on these things. Repent of your sin. And come up, we have a table here in the front and one in the back. You can take the, the bread and the cup back to your seat. And after this song, then we will uh, take communion together as a way of remembering Christ's gift for us. And if this is not something you're ready to accept yet, you say, you know what, I'm just not on board with the whole God thing. I don't really accept the Christ thing and I, you, you've really kind of stung me a little bit about the, the sin thing and I'm just not there yet. That's okay. Just reflect on this passage. It's on page 804 in the Bible. You can read it and reflect on it and think about it. But there's no need for you to uh, be hypocritical and come up and take this back to your seat. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.